Thank you, Holly. Thank you, Leanne. As we interact with Scripture this morning, keep in mind that it involves my being faithful, it involves your being responsive, and it involves all of us being willing to strive to be sensitive to Christ in our day-by-day walk with Him. You know, it's not merely me uttering a bunch of words. We're to be doers of God's Word and not hearers only. Over the years, I've been asked the same question a number of times, and the question that I've been asked was, do you have a mechanic that you could recommend? And each time I've been asked that, I have been able to answer, yes, I have a mechanic I highly recommend. Why? How would you respond if I told you that beginning next week, we will, have our, we will not have our normal church service for six weeks. We will begin our service at 10.30 a.m. and seek to conclude by noon or 12 o'clock. We will devote 20 minutes, at least 20 minutes to prayer, 50 to 60 minutes to teaching in somewhat of a different fashion, 10 to 20 minutes in responding to the teaching. There will be no offering. Leave it at the basket by the door as you leave. There will be no special music or congregational singing or scripture reading. Would you continue to attend those six weeks? How would you respond? Would you trust me? Do you think I would lead our church incorrectly? I have a $20 bill here. See a couple hands already. (laughs) Jeremiah, I want you to take this $20 bill and I want you to give it to Bill Killian. He's sitting right back here. And Bill, you have the service to figure out what you want to do with that $20 bill. At the end of the service, I'll ask you what you would like to do with it. Now, I chose Bill to receive that $20 bill for a definite reason, which I'll explain later. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark, chapter 1. Mark, chapter 1. Going to to read together verses 14 through 20. We looked at this passage last week. Want to spend just a little time in the passage again this week and then look at some applications. To merely know what a text says is good, but to interact with it and see how Christ How God wants to work in our life in light of the text, I think, is also important. Mark 1 and verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. In Mark 1, 
verses 1 through 20, we find that Mark is communicating certain things about Christ. And as you study Mark, Mark 1, 1 through 20, who Christ is is foundational to what happens in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark 1, 1 through 8, we find that Christ is unique. He is one of, the, one of a kind, you could say. According to verse 1, he is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. In verse 11, when the voice from heaven came, you are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. According to verse 8, I baptize you, John says, with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That should be 1.8, not 1.12. He also is able to resist Satan. Verse 12, at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. He went into the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. And we know according to Matthew 4, 1 through 11, that he was victorious. Jesus also is intimately related to the kingdom of God. Verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. It's interesting that John proclaimed Christ. You know, he prepared the way for Christ. Christ comes and Christ says the kingdom of God is near. Why is the kingdom of God near? Because Christ is present. Now, as we think about Christ and who he is in light of Mark 1, 1 through 20, I think it's very critical, foundational, that we grasp those items. as we interact with our children, our grandchildren, as we interact with people in the world, and we seek to communicate the gospel of Christ, we're communicating Christ. Who is unique, one of a kind, who is a son of God, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, who is yielded to God's spirit. He's able to resist Satan. He's intimately related to the kingdom of God. And that's why we proclaim Christ and God who are love. As you read the Gospels, the love of God comes out loud and strong. How? Through this person, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and so on, he loved the world and he died and rose from the dead. It's this Christ who became a substitute, which marks Christianity. And again, I don't like that term, but I'm using it. Sets it apart from other religions of the world. If you want to call Christianity religion, I don't think it's a religion. It's a relationship with God. But the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ sets our walk with God apart. 
It also sets Christ apart because Christ has already done it. All the religions of the world are still doing. The kingdom of God and Christ are intimately related. Christ is present. And Christ goes on in his ministry and it says... The kingdom of God is near. Repent. A turning from sin. A rational decision. A willful act. There's signs of fruit. And that's the totality of one's life. He says repent. And believe. A turning to Jesus Christ. Who is life. A total allegiance of one's life. Now notice he says in verse 14, or verse 15, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, repent and believe the good news. In essence, he's saying, I am the good news. It's interesting, as Jesus walks beside the Sea of Galilee, in light of who he was, he sees Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is the subject of the call. Follow me. It's a call to an allegiance to a person. Of Jesus Christ. The call is coming from Jesus. It's not the desire of the two men here, and later on, two more. There's no need to pass an exam. There's no need to qualify in theology. There's no need to file an application. Jesus pursues them. Come, follow me. It's a call to discipleship. Follow me. No explanation of what is involved. Just follow me. He doesn't give them any detail. He doesn't say, what are you going to be doing? Or he doesn't tell them what they're going to be doing. Other than, I'll make you fishers of men, whatever that looks like. The essence or essential work of Christ consists in forming a fellowship in which your call of Jesus is heard and obeyed. And that fellowship is seen as we go through the Gospel of Mark. At the root of the men following Jesus is trust. When he gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets without delay. He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I don't know about you, but if someone came up to me and said, just follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, I would probably step back and say, i got to analyze this, you know. What's the pay? 
How much travel is involved? Am I going to be able to keep my wife with me or am I going to have to leave her for periods of time? They left all to follow Christ. So you look at Mark 1, 1 through 20, and as we go on in Mark, you will find that trust is at the root of following Jesus. Trust is at the root of following Jesus, and I think as you broaden that out, is demonstrated today in following leaders within a local body. Trust is intimately related to knowing the character, the being of the person that one is following. As you look at the text of Mark chapter 1, Simon, Andrew, James, and John were not just following anyone, they were following Jesus, who is was and remains unique, the Son of God, the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and so on. I asked earlier when I'm asked the question, do you have someone you recommend as a mechanic? Yes, I have someone I recommend as a mechanic. Why? Because I trust the person. I know the person's character. I know his nature, and I can say I recommend him. Trust. Jesus is making a call to these four men, and later on he calls eight additional men. But at the root of it is trust. Demand no explanation. Leave their livelihood, even though they returned later for a period of time, and followed him. The character the being of Jesus is so critical. As we walk with him, as we yield with him, as we surrender to him. Do you ever stop and think about our walking with God? Our walking with Christ also involves trust. When God tells me as I read in the Gospels, that I am to forgive others. And love my enemy. Do I obey that, not seeing the outcome? But God, if I forgive, they might hurt me again. God, if I love them, they might not love me in return. That's not the question. Jesus speaks, whether it be through him or those who wrote the balance in the New Testament. We imply, we demonstrate trust by obedience. Whether we see the outcome or not. The disciples trusted Another application. Do you know Jesus Christ? I didn't ask if you know about him or what he did. Do you know Jesus Christ? 
Now there's a difference. The disciples, these four men at this point in time, apparently are coming to know Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ? Didn't ask if you know about him. Do you know him? We may know people, and we may know about them, but do we know them? Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. In relation to James and John, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Apparently they were coming to know Christ. Do you know Christ? Are you experiencing him? Are you walking with him? This week I had an occasion to visit in the hospital a number of different people. And in one setting I was visiting and was interacting some with some family. And my heart went out because of a decision that would have to be made. And in another setting, I was talking to another individual, and he was told he has very, very limited time on this planet. And in both cases, I could talk about Jesus. Because I know him. I don't know about him. I know him. I could say with confidence, particularly in the one case, it's through Christ that he'll walk with you through the valley, the shadow of death. I've been walking with him for years. I blow it at times, but I'm walking with him. I know him. I know his character. I know his nature. I'm coming to know him better. He'll walk with you too. The disciples, the four in this case, are coming to know Christ. Who he is and his character, so they willingly followed. Another application, discipleship, involves being with a person. Jesus Christ in the situation, in daily life it involves being with others. What's Jesus say? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What are they going to do? As you read through the Gospel of Mark, they're going to be with Jesus. So they're with Jesus in the next portion of Scripture when he cast out an evil spirit. They're with Jesus when he heals many. They're with Jesus when the religious leaders try to corner him time and time again, they see how he lives, they see how he responds. He's with them and they with him. 
Now, I emphasize that for this reason. Now, if we're not careful, down through the ages, Christians can have the idea that the way you make disciples is to get them to come to something. Let's get them to come to church, and then they get saved, and then they come to church, and they'll grow through church. Yes, we are to gather, and I'm not diminishing believers gathering together at all. But we make disciples by being with people. To this day, I still have a lot of dad's traits. Some of them good, some of them not good. Why? Because I spent time with him. My formative years were with dad. I'll give you one on the negative side first. So dad would come in the house after he did his barn work and it's supper time and he would come in and he wouldn't necessarily acknowledge any of us. He wasn't angry, he wasn't upset. You know, no need to acknowledge everyone, I guess. I'm still prone to come into the house and just walk in. Not say, hello, honey, glad to see you, you're a great woman. Just walk in. Well, I'm a husband, this is my house, you know, I can just walk in. And honey will say, you know, I'm here. (laughs) How did I develop that? Being with dad. Now that's one I've attempted to shift. But dad did a good job of discipling me. The disciples are going to be with him. Now think about Christianity. Jesus calls these four men to be with him. They're going to follow him. Let's take the case or the situation of someone who has grown up in a very, very messed up home whatever that is. Just say it's messed up home. and They move into their late teen years. And they just don't know how to live. And lo and behold, they fall in love and thinking, ah, oh, I'll get married, everything's going to change. And then someone comes up to them and says, I just want you to know that getting married will not solve all your problems. But I do have a challenge for you. Would you come to live with my wife and I for the next year while you continue dating your courtship, whatever you want to call it, with your girlfriend? Just come and live with my wife and I. We're going to take some time to pray together at times, but just Watch us live. So in this case, the guy comes and watches them live and how they relate and how they respond to their kids. And the husband, the father, and the guy at times spend some time interacting. 
you know, just formally, they work together, they play together, you know, and he spends time with the rest, you know, the family. It gets towards the end of the year, and he's going to get married. And he looks at the couple and says, thank you. I know a little bit of what it means to be a husband and a father and what a family is to be. Why? Because they gave him lecture after lecture on how to be a good man? No. He was with them. Jesus called the four to simply follow him. That is probably, seems to be one of the reasons where the greatest amount of mentoring and discipling takes place in the home where families spend time together just living. And sometimes invite others to see their family live together. But our world system, and many times the body of Christ, seeks to pull the family apart. Seeks, seeks to pull believers apart. Maybe through, quote unquote, church activities. It may be through school. It may be through work. It may be through sports. But it seeks to pull us apart. But yet... Jesus seems to have impacted people just by being with others. Question. Are you willing to leave all, surrender all to follow Jesus? The disciples are being called to leave their livelihood to follow Jesus. These four men left their livelihood. Now you say, I'm not sure I want to leave my livelihood. Well, for the sake of this morning, I'm not talking about livelihood. Are you willing to leave your unforgiveness? Are you willing to leave having things your way? On the lighter side, my wife and I get married... Ruth Ann thought she could never please me because you could look in my closet. Every shirt was turned a certain way. The hangers were turned the exact same way. They were in a certain order. You could look in my drawer. My socks were stacked a certain way, color, you know, and just everything. Everything was very much in order. Now she's going to marry me. We're going to get married and we're going to try to exist together. You know, that goes, you should have dishes in a certain order, too. Am I willing to give that up for a needy to marry a not as needy? Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think about that, and that's like critically a Ruthann. But am I willing to surrender that? It's almost reversed now, you know. She's more neat than I am, you know. Am I willing to give up the computer? Say, I've got to have my computer. can't function without the computer. Does it own us or does Christ? How about games? How many of you teenagers and children are willing to surrender your computer games for two months? For a half a year? How about just a TV? I 
just surrender to the TV. Not that TV is in and of itself wrong. Fishing wasn't wrong, but I'll surrender watching any TV for the next three months. So I go crazy. What are we following? Are we willing to surrender worry? Just say, God, you know, you're sovereign, you're in control. I surrender that to you. Just a busy life. Have to be in the go. Can't sit down and relax. Or demand of knowing the future. Whatever form that may take. Are we willing just to follow Jesus? Surrender all. Are you following Jesus Christ 24-7 because of who he is? Or are you trusting facts about him and what he did for escaping hell and going to heaven? These four men, they left all. They're following Jesus. For what? Jesus. What was coming? They didn't know. Fishers of men, what's that? Leaving all to follow Jesus, trusting in Christ, is not merely saying heaven's coming, hell's not, because I trusted in Jesus. It's talking about day by day living. So when I go to the doctor, and as I did this past week, and on Wednesday, he basically said in his words, Go home and live with it. But I'm willing to do a test. But I don't think there's anything wrong that we can find. Am I willing to trust Christ for that? When I bemoan to him briefly, not nearly as much as Ruth Ann would tell me I should, look, this has been going on for years. Am I willing to trust God? Is a Joe Martin willing to trust God when he gets news from the doctor about his carotid artery being 50% blocked and something going on in the back of his head? I'll let him explain that. Where he stoops over too far, you know, he passes out. Is he willing to say, God, I'll trust you, not only for my future, but in the present? Christ calls us to walk with him day by day, not merely the future. So are you daily walking with Jesus or only trusting him for the future? So you think about Mark 1. Jesus is trustworthy. These four men follow him. They're going to be made fishers of men. They had to exercise trust. Occasionally, and I am asked, as I mentioned earlier, do you know a good mechanic? I can recommend a good mechanic with confidence. 
because I know the person. How would you respond if I told you beginning next week, we'll start at 1030, we'll go to noon, maybe be done by noon, and other things I described. Would you still come? Would you trust me? By the way, we're not doing that the next six weeks. But would you trust me? Or would you say, Pastor, I need some more explanation, I need some detail? Bill, did you decide what you want to do with your $20? You want to tell us? Should I tell him what's here? Sure. There's 40 now. So he'll trust me to take care of it. I will, Bill. I make this statement in all sincerity. If I had $100,000 in cash that I wanted someone to take care of, I'd be willing to give it to Bill and trust it to him. He's not the only one, but I'd be willing to. I don't have it with me this morning. (laughs) But I'd be willing to. Why? I trust him. We have talked. I know a little bit about his thinking when it comes to God and money and so on. I trust him. I'd be willing to entrust him 200000 in cash and say, do with it as you please. If you can earn something, fine. It all boils down to trust. Jesus is who he claims to be. Are we willing to walk with him day by day? Think about that as Travis comes to lead us in another song.